My name is Tom Mitchell and for 10 years I've played professional rugby sevens for England and Great Britain. It's taken me around the world to play in some amazing places, including two Olympic Games. As captain of the international team and as a player seeking to perform at my best, I developed a keen interest in psychology, both how it relates to performance, but also how we maintain a healthy mental state in the face of extreme and sometimes difficult emotional periods. I've been involved with UOK Doc since 2020, and I'm loving the chance to guest host the Yod Pod for this series. I'll be sharing a few stories from my own life so far, whilst desperately trying to learn from all the amazing guests I chat to. I hope you enjoy the series. Really fortunate to have sponsorship for this series of the podcast. How are you studying for your next medical exam? Our sponsor, Pass Test, are an extensive online resource and can help you focus your revision effectively to achieve exam success. This is a fantastic way to boost your approach to your exams. To learn more about Pass Test, please click the link in our show notes. Today's guest on UOK Doc Podcast is Chris Cherry, a man who needs no introduction as the co-founder and trustee of UOK Doc. It's a delight for me to be able to interview this man. Chris is a psychotherapist with 30 years experience, much sought after by an eclectic range of clients to help navigate the challenges and demands of life and relationships. Chris has had a whole range of involvements on the ground with UOK Doc, including hosting the Yod Huddles, and also, of course, being the regular host of this podcast. He's made room for me for a short few episodes to sit in the seat. And this time today, I get the chance to speak to one of the co-founders of UOK Doc. And he's also a man who's inspired me around the career of psychotherapy and some of his values around curiosity and trust in the journey, which we speak a little bit about in this conversation. It's great to hear from this guy, for him to be on the other side of things for once. I hope you enjoy the episode. Right, everyone, joining us today on the Yod Pod is a man who needs no introduction when it comes <laughs> to all things UOK Doc. Chris Did Cherry, you really? <laughs> UOK Doc's finest and very own specialist <laughs> psychotherapist and all-round legend co-founder of UOK Doc. Chris, how does it feel sitting? I feel like I'm, I'm metaphorically sitting in your chair. No, I love you being in that chair. I've got to, I mean, I can't remember how many podcasts, webinars I did, but it, one of the interesting experiences, I, I don't know if it will happen to you, but it, in some ways it gets harder because to begin with, it's quite fresh and, you know, there's a kind of newness to it, but keeping the energy going, keeping the conversation alive, it's got its own challenges as the, as the host. Yeah, big time. I've experienced that a couple of times, just that, and we don't record for a long, long time doing these. I don't know how long you used to go for some of yours, but even in the short time we're recording, there are moments where I was thinking, where am I going to, where is this conversation going? Where are we going to go with this? Yeah, what yeah. am I going to say yeah, next? Yeah. And as you say, I was getting to that point. So I thought, well, who better to get on in the next line of the series <laughs> than, a, than a friendly face? And basically, you can walk yourself through this next 45 minutes or whatever. So this is an easy one. Who have you talked to so far? We've had lots of people, but I don't know what order these are going to come out in, in terms of the sequence of release. So maybe this will be the first one of the series, just to whet people's appetites for my stint as the host. So I won't list off the other ones you've done. We've done. Okay. We've definitely right. spoken to a few people in common, I think. 
Julia being one of them, I think, who you all know. Oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. She was wonderful. That was a very exciting, yeah. fun, lively yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. But I say that you need no introduction, which is true in this space. And it's a good thing because I, I try to do a bit of research. You know, I try to be as professional about this as I can and learn a bit about people. But I have to say, and one of the things I do, actually, I go on Instagram for, for guests. So I thought, I'll see what Chris has got on his Instagram. Well, yeah, there's a total yeah, of yeah. one post on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, with yeah. no caption, just just a nice picture of you. So that was useless to, by way of research. But yeah, you haven't yeah, thought yeah. about developing your social media presence any further? It's a really, I mean, it's essential now. It, it, well, it depends what you're, you're kind of, you know, I've been doing this for, what, 30 years, really. And it never kind of, I don't know, it never kind of got me kind of interested, really. But I can see now with next generation of therapists coming through, you really do need it for that kind of visibility, that sort of the visibility to people when they're looking for a therapist or, you know, they want to find out a bit more about you. Well, I was going to get onto this a bit later, but seeing as we've arrived at it, one of the things I was going to ask you is about this sort of changing landscape around, around therapy, but also more broadly around the kind of mental health conversation. As you say, 30 years, there must have been a fair bit of change you've seen, not just social media. I was talking about this this morning. So a key thing is younger generations, and I'm, I'm maybe up to mid, late 20s. Certainly the people I see, there is no stigma or prejudice or kind of criticism of being in therapy. If anything, it's something that they actively talk to friends about because everybody, to some degree, knows somebody or has their own history of emotional challenges or just being in therapy that I think is a really clear change and I think that I mean it's just it's just a very positive change yeah absolutely and actually talking of former guests I spoke to Greg O'Shea who's a friend of mine a former uh, rugby sevens player and we both shared how there wasn't a lot of conversation necessarily throughout our careers about amongst the group of lads around mental health necessarily but and yet he still felt like he was a there weren't huge barriers to him seeking therapy for his for himself when he felt like he needed it and it did make me think that's a sign of obviously a very small example of and whether it generalizes we can make the generalisation across society, I'm not, I'm not sure, but former generations, I don't think you would have seen that. I don't think certainly there are any rugby players that would have taken that up, you know what I mean, in a male testosterone fueled environment. So I think you're right. I think there's there's a huge amount of change, of positive change that's going on. And maybe towards the end, we'll talk about where it might go. But can we go, can we wind the clock all the way back? All the way back. That sounds a little bit like I'm ageing you beyond your years, but... 30 years in the industry, how did you get into it? I mean, I did a general humanities degree, but I think before that, my parents were youth workers and antiques, and it just stayed with me. It sort of, I was kind of inspired by the work that they did with young people, and that's where I first started, was working with young people in Hackney. And then it just progressed from that into, I set up, or, or rather with a couple of other therapists, set up something called the Men's Centre. I remember when that was now, mid-90s. So there was a period when I was very much focused on men because men, a bit of a cliche, but they didn't really seek therapy. It was a much more female environment, both in terms of who came and the therapists. I mean, I'm being a bit simplistic, but so we focused on providing space and services for men. And then it just evolved into a general practice and including UIK Doc. Yeah. But I think it was my parents. It was my parents, really. 
So did it feel like a calling? Was there sort of passion that you thought, I'm going to follow this, or was it just a progression? I think I've been incredibly lucky. I think I would have been a complete failure in a corporate world. I mean, my work is quite independent. I'm not a team player. And I like sort of the space that I create and, and the work that I do. I mean, obviously, I have colleagues and network and stuff. But any office job, I would have been sacked within weeks. What would you have been Well, sacked? just not being able to concentrate, admin, just concentrating. I mean, I love the energy of, you know, there's a, you've got 50 minutes to an hour with somebody and it, it just focuses you. You know, you've got a beginning, a middle, and end, and then a continuation. If you see them the next week or the over the several months, there's a real focus. I think I would have just got bored in more general kind of uh, organizations, even within the NHS, probably. I, I certainly would have got sacked for admin deficiencies. Well, that sort of uh, deficiency and skill set rings true with me as well, actually. It's something I'm trying to work on. You mentioned that you don't work as part of a team. By virtue of the work, being a therapist is, I want to say, I want to steer this in a certain way, but I can imagine it being lonely work. It's certainly isolated in an objective sense. It, you are working as an individual almost exclusively, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I do have a network of people. I have a, a, a group with group supervision once a month. I'm my own supervisor. There's friends, stroke colleagues that, are, that I see. But the core of the work is between me and, you know, one other person in that room. I don't actually feel lonely in the work, actually. I mean, it's an incredible privilege to work with people and the stories that people tell me and the things that the experience or challenged by either currently or historically. It's an incredible job to have. It's, a, it's I mean, it gets a bit cheesy, but it's, it's a bit of a create the space and for people to trust me in a way that they opened. I mean, part of the work for me is positive outcomes. I want, essentially, I want therapy to be a, an empowering, inspiring experience. I want it to bring things to a person's life that's not just a resolution of their, whatever it is that was the catalyst for seeing me, but, you know, goes back into their lives generally. And that in itself is probably, am I right, saying that's probably a bit of a reframing of the profession to some degree from perhaps what it was historically. In, in what way, what would you, what would you have seen? In terms of therapy being a, a positive experience rather than just being a let's almost get back to zero, you know, let's get back to level and let's, you know, fix this problem and, and then start again. It, and I'm not suggesting that they're not challenging elements to therapy. I imagine that there's constantly challenges associated with it for both uh, patients, but also for you, but that you can actually, not that there's an end goal necessarily, but you will perhaps leave the therapy experience feeling much more enriched, not just fixed, I guess. No, absolutely. I mean, as well as resolving whatever, um, as, as much as one can resolve things without getting to know yourself and being able to use that knowledge and insight to just the quality of your own lived life, really. The, the crisis, I mean, crises, depends what they are, but on the whole, time, you know, sort of softens things. I mean, I'm being a bit simplistic, but the real key is just what the opportunities are that come out of that moment or that period, you know, that, that you're in crisis in whatever way. When you're dealing with people who are experiencing a crisis or and daily or hourly, you're yes. speaking to people about very heavy stuff yes. and you are working by yourself and you have a network, but you don't have an immediate team around you that you can share and lean on. How do you manage yourself? 
through that? So the bit I think, because people have asked me that before, I think the key thing for me is it's an active dynamic relationship. Historically, the times that I've struggled is when I've become quite passive in the conversation, where to me, an interaction means that you're working on something, you're collaborating. If it's just the absorbing in kind of a passive way, it's really not going to do, it's not going to do you good. That's the thing for me. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's different ways that, that people look at it, but a key bit is that it, it's got to be dynamic. That's the conversation that's itself. so interesting. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's really powerful. And actually, I think that's an interesting way to approach relationships in general, isn't it? Whether that's with a colleague, with a friend, with family members, the active and dynamic nature of those relationships and how we can be dynamic in our involvement in those conversations and in those relationships and there are other things a lot of part of being a therapist is you have to manage your energy because when you're sat in a room with someone whether they're aware of it or not they will be picking up on your energy yeah completely all the time people are doing whether they know it or not where clients are, are always tracking the therapist but that comes with a lot of pressure to some degree does it to deliver to i mean the number of times i've used the phrase you know delivering or performing in the moment but you're doing that with very real consequences perhaps yeah the way that i approach it which isn't a casual way but whatever happens the key bit is how we are then able to reflect draw upon it use it so if i say something where there's a kind of negative reaction or it's a trigger or something that in itself becomes something to engage with as long as you stay curious whatever happens in the therapeutic space it becomes part of the process and i've got to be careful here because this sounds a lot easier than it actually is in practice (laughs) but But it's probably easy after 30 years of doing it or at least it's second nature but i mean i think probably when i first started you i mean you're sort of guided by the model or models that you've been trained in and then after a period of time you just have to kind of trust it Whatever you do, whatever your interventions are, whatever happens, if you stay curious with it and engaged with it, it just becomes part of the experience. Yeah, it's kind of one of the things I invite people to do is, is to take charge of their narrative. Because a lot of the time when we come into therapy, we feel like we're out of control and, you know, often are. But it's beginning to see what you can do to take back control of things. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's brilliant getting an insight into your world. Do you have any, I don't know whether this is a fair ask, but do you have any times over the last 30 or so years that stick in your mind as being moments that you'd rather forget? Is it any, the reason I'm asking, I'm not just asking because this is, I'm hoping for some entertaining stories, but I also like to try and, whilst I want to portray you, and I will do in the bio, which I'll record after this, as the wonderful professional wonderful human being that you are I also think it's useful when people listen to impressive successful practitioners in whatever field that we understand the human journey they've gone on to perhaps be at the top level of their industry so that's my rationale for asking largely but also perhaps I can have a giggle I mean there are some really extraordinary stories they're so specific I can't share them with you because I mean the variety of human experiences is extraordinary and the way that we express ourselves emotionally, sort of sexually, the way the, the different infinite varieties of human experience is extraordinary. And of course, within that, there are some very 
memorable ones, but they're so memorable I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> well, that was actually a test just to see whether you were a pro- yeah. professional as I thought, and you passed. So no, no, absolutely fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Moving on slightly to something that I think will be really relevant to everyone listening, and you'll have talked about this a lot, I'm sure, already, but you're in, in a profession where it'd be very easy to be totally wedded to the work that you do and to be very bound up in it and for it to be very much part of your identity, part of who you are as a person. And I think that's the same for a lot of healthcare professionals who are passionate about what they do. They spend a lot of hours doing it. It's vocational and you it's very hard to separate yourself from the job. How have you managed that? How have you experienced that over the years or now as well? I mean, I've been my daughters, they're now 18, 20. That's been a chunk of the last, well, last 20 years. That's an important sort of other part of my life. But again, with work, I don't tend to carry, well, in some ways, I carry things more than I used to. But generally, the key thing for me is that we're working on something. And there's a kind of trust and a, and a belief that in working on it, things will come into being. So it's sort of an evolving, ongoing thing. So I don't sort of hold stuff when I'm not working with people. I mean, obviously, there are, there are things that people go through that are just horrific in, you know, grief and, you know, degrees of depression, bipolar and so forth, you know, where I have a concern over the week as to how they are. But I don't, I, I, I sort of trust the process. So I'm not, I don't tend to take my work back into my private life, really. But what about on the positive side of it as well? Does it make up a lot of what you feel positively about yourself around the work? No, so absolutely. No, completely. Self-esteem and things like that. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, right or wrongly, I feel very confident in my approach when, you know, to what degrees it works. You know, it varies like any therapist, but I feel very confident in my approach, you know, just like I'm sure it was for you to some degree in your profession, your, you know, your sport. It brings its own confidence, its own self, sense of self. Well, I think that's why probably why I'm fascinated in this question, particularly at the moment, because my own identity is being challenged to a degree as I move away from playing. And a large part of just how I used to spend my time is now not how I spend my time. And a lot of people point out to you, oh, there's a huge part of your identity that you're going to lose. So I think I've been mindful of trying to separate myself from it. In fact, I think we've probably talked a bit about this before. And that's why I'm just curious how other people relate to it in professions where they're passionate about what they do. And, you know, it's hypothetically, if you were to step away from this role tomorrow and you were never going to provide therapy for anyone on a, in a professional sense again what would chris who would chris be i suppose outside of that yeah i mean it is quite pertinent at the moment because juliet my wife she's just retired and well actually it's not in retirement she's just moved in stage of her life which is just full of things you know just the seeing the pleasure that it gives her and the you know again you know part of her identity was in the work she did but She's been able to move very easily because a, a lot of that was stressful. For me, I don't think it'd be quite that straightforward. But there is a, I mean, maybe it's just age, there is a hunger for exploring the world a bit more in different ways. That's a process that's going to sort of unfold over the next few years. As much for me and Jules to spend time together. Our kids are, you know, we're older parents, 
but the girls, you know, they're moving into young adulthood in terms of either starting uni or third year of uni, final year. So that's got its own relevance as to, you know, sense of self about being an active father, parent. That's changing as well. And there's a bit of me, I'm very happy for it to to change, including mm. work, really. I mean, I used to see a lot of people in my 30s, even my 40s, and I have no wish to do that anymore. I don't know, in terms of, you know, for, well, I think of footballers, as you age, you just take a bit more time to work out the space and when to expend some energy. You know, you just begin to pace yourself a bit more. Mm. That's, that's an interesting concept, the speed with which we go through life. Yeah, we, we seem to be able to just dial it down a bit at will as we get older, I mean, and not get swept along quite as much. I mean, not, not everybody. I mean, it is a problem for some people when their identity is so caught up in their job or their role or the task. And it's all energy. You don't have the same energy in your 50s, 40s, in your 20s, 30s. And that can become a problem for people. You know, it's, it's a struggle to let go of that. To, to do what you've, you've just done something, which I think is a really useful exercise for everyone. You've seamlessly, when I said, if you had to stop working tomorrow, what would you do or who would you be? And you seamlessly listed, without listing, a few other areas of your life which make up Chris Cherry. And I think to be able to do it that seamlessly is not something that should be downplayed. I think a lot of people would struggle to do that. And particularly people who are are very wedded to their work and their jobs. It's a useful exercise just to find pause. And even if you write it down and think, well, what, what else do I enjoy? And that's a good starting point. What things are important to me? And just almost probably break down this sort of perhaps false idea of who we are as people, which can often be very much very closely aligned with what we do on a daily basis in our work. So I think that's a really great reminder for all of us, actually. I mean, I think one of the um, challenges for people who started sport at a very young age, the people I've worked with who were sports, you know, started and their identity came into being in their childhood in terms of sport, that has been a really difficult kind of transition when that comes to end, either that they haven't progressed to the level that they were, you know, you achieved that, uh, I presume, you know, in terms of some of your goals. But the identity forming in childhood, that's a real challenge when it starts to change. Yeah. I actually saw a footballer, Trent Alexander-Arnold, has just started an organisation that's going to provide support for academy players that don't make it. And that is so desperately needed. So hopefully there's going to be a bit of a change of mindset around it. It's actually, I've seen somebody recently who was let go of from an academy. And it still shocks me how little attention there is. I mean, it's just a win-win. It, it optimizes people's sports ability, you know, because people's emotional, mental well-being is going to be reflected in their ability to play, perform. And it still shocks me how little there is in the, in the... I mean, I know it's increased hugely. It just commercially... It seems it just seems a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, I know you're preaching to a converted here, Chris, for sure. So, just changing tact a little bit and bringing it back to back home on this on the odd pod, I suppose. But let's dive into your your journey a little bit with UOK Doc. So, back in the beginning. I've never actually heard the story about how it came into being. I don't know whether a lot of people listening to this will know how UK Doc came into being, but can you can yes, you give us a short yes. version of how it, how it was born? 
Well, I, I mean, we can. You, do you edit any of this, or is it? Is it just? I don't, but someone will, and we can choose which bits we keep in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, Dan's. I don't know if he's still listening, but so, so Dan was a client of mine, and we worked, you know, together for several months. And I always, from very early on, saw a number of qualities that he had in terms of his creativity, his drive to create things across a range in a range of different ways. You know, whether it was his medical uh, career as training as a surgeon, but also just generally his ideas. He's entrepreneurial. He's very dynamic. He wants to make things happen. And I think he inspires people to come in on his ideas. So he approached me about UOK Doc as an idea. And I thought it was, again, another thing. I'm shocked at the lack of this kind of sort of services. But it was his passion and his belief and his you know, literally, he was within, you know, the, the medical community. You know, he was living it in terms of the absence of, of what UOK Doc could provide. So it was very much him. I was inspired and believed in him and wanted to support him. I didn't quite know what I was signing up for, but, <laughs> but, it, but that was the core of, you know, that was, you know, it was a belief and uh, a wanting to support Dan. That's awesome, I mean, and it's so cool that you guys have been on the on the UK doc journey alongside each other. Maybe we'll hear from him at some stage. Maybe I'll get to to dig into some of the details around his involvement yeah. all the way through. Yeah, yeah. But you must have met some really cool people doing this as well. I mean, I feel very fortunate to be doing this mini series on the Odd Pod, uh, and I've met some really cool people, and I've been able to meet you through working with UK Doc, which has been. So valuable. And I'll save the the gushing moments perhaps for the close of this conversation. But you must have met some amazing people throughout. Is there anyone who particularly stands out or who you found particularly interesting or even life-changing? Yeah. So, I mean, the thing about the timing of UOK Doc, it, it was, what was it, a year and a half before the pandemic. And the development of the charity was, you know, in an appropriate way, sort of maturing and developing. But when the pandemic hit, it just became so clear of the need for something like UOK Doc. And of course, you know, the sort of attention to emotional and mental well-being also accelerated during that time generally. So we there were several organizations, individuals who supported us by being on podcasts, webinars, like Julia, Julia Samuel, who was was a great supporter, still is, of UOK Doc, and she had She'd got her own experience of, remember which hospital it was in, but she did sort of group emotional well-being therapy, I think, for, well, I think it was through the pandemic. She was, she was supporting people. So she's, you know, I, 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 the things that inspire me is the personalities of people, the genuineness, their, their warmth, their intelligence without having to prove anything. You know, they're just, this is what I've learned. This is what I want to share with you. And a, a willingness to listen to people. And Julia's one of those people. Us did we, I mean, Thrive as an organization in America. They were very supportive of us. Um, I'm trying to remember some people. We talked, we talked to Adam Kay. I mean, he very generously offered his time. I think one of the things about the webinars i wanted to hear people's stories in a way like you're asking me about my story i think that was the key thing for people it's not so much a lecture or how to but just listening to people's stories and of course we had several 
As you said, do you think you're more, are you more comfortable telling your story or listening to other people's stories? I think both. I've enjoyed this experience. I mean, I know I haven't said a great deal about me, but I, I, I think it's, as a therapist, you don't get asked much about yourself. And so it's a really, it's, I, I find it very valuable to sort of talk about myself. It's not the common experience on my part, but I find, <laughs> I find it really valuable. But I also know that whether my clients or just people generally who have therapy or counselling, they want to hear other people's stories. Well, that's life, isn't it? That's what makes up the colour in our yeah. lives is other people's stories and where yeah. our own story weaves in around. We only those. know who we are through our stories. That's how we know who we are. Mm. Yeah. Storytelling is a beautiful thing. It's, it's something that I think if we can encourage people to tell their stories, actually, because I think particularly in Britain, we can be a bit guarded or you know, a bit of self-modesty or that, you know, we don't want to appear too self-important, but actually fascinating hearing about people's lives. It's never not worthwhile. You've done a bit of talking of telling your story and, and being out there a little bit more. Any plans doing more media stuff? Any more TV in the pipeline? You've done a bit on TV before, but is that a side of, have you ever wanted, have you ever sought to be a, a sort of personality therapist? Because you're well known, but you're not, I wouldn't say you're a celebrity therapist. Yeah, it's a very, I think, need to be a particular kind of person to transfer to that sort of medium, really. I mean, it can get a bit generic after a while in those sort of environments, I think. Do you know what I mean? It's If you've got a specialism, then I think it, you just keep focusing on the specialism. But Or you're talking to people about their lives and inspiring, you know, those people's stories inspire people or inform them or whatever. But I, I don't, I think I'm happy to stay at the edges of that. Fair enough. Stick to your one, one post on Instagram and, <laughs> and the meaningful work. Well, I mean, I mean, I, you know, it's all a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But the, I remember when Facebook started and stuff, and, you know, it was, it's, it's become normalized, but it is profoundly unhealthy, the level of reflection through the eyes of other people's posts or the pressure the expectation, but it, it is addictive. You know, we can get into all kinds of conversations, but we live, addiction has been normalized now through social media. It is what it is, you know, but it, it's part of our way of being in the world now. Bearing in mind, I imagine most, the majority of people listening will probably have some form of social media. I know this is not about giving, you know, uh, this is not about giving easy fixes, this conversation, but would, what would you suggest as impractical suggestions for people who need help managing that addiction, as you said? Yeah, I mean, I think everything, you have to see it in context. So I suppose it's how vulnerable somebody is in terms of what they're looking at, what they're looking for, what their, their version of themselves that they put online, that not, not in a critical sense, way towards people but what they're trying to achieve by being online and whether they feel they're succeeding or just reading just the sort of feeds you know the endless you know i mean it really does just absorb people for several hours and then they look up and think, what have i done with my time but it's incredibly you know it's addictive it's addictive i, I think the whatever you do with your social media i think it's how it's balanced with other stuff so like we both know exercise is just crucial to mental and emotional well-being. Exercise, sleep, diet, 
a sense of purpose, sense of being to degrees in charge of your own narrative. Wherever the social media is in all of that, the more that's established and strong in your life, then that stuff diminishes in its in its toxicity, I think. That's interesting. And the one list I imagine you degree is sort of a sense of community as being important to our well-being. And that's an interesting one when it comes to social media because some people locate their community online and perhaps there's some power in that but it's a complicated one i mean just there's a dear friend's um wife has just had a stroke there she's in her 80s but there's been a whatsapp group with 30 40 people who who know the family they've been updated they're sending messages of love and care and that that in itself is incredibly powerful you you know in its own way a community and it just has a within social media there are some extraordinary things that that really do bond people together in a way they wouldn't be able to it's certainly a tricky world to navigate i think particularly for young people coming up and it it must have been a, you know talked about developments over the years in your professional work but you know that having to be a very real part of how you work with people now and something that you definitely i imagine have to address with most people whereas you wouldn't have had to 20 years ago yeah, I mean, the younger generation, it's just how life has always been. So generationally, in some ways, they're less... The, the format itself is not so much discussed. It's the themes and the issues around emotional, mental health. That's where key thing for them is in their own tribes. We're all groups of... We're all parts of different tribes. And to some degree, on for younger people, they have a much broader tribe just through social media that you wouldn't have had 20 30 years ago well it'll be interesting to see where social media goes in in society and but in terms of where things are going what would you like if you had a vision for uok doc bearing in mind you there from the very beginning where would you like it to go and what sort of drives you in terms of the work you continue to do with the charity i mean i think the financial security of the charity is you know, the foundations of it, and it's going through its own growth period. You know, it's like any charity, it, it's still relatively young as a charity, and it's going through its growth spasms, you know, and, it, and I think it's at this particular time, which, uh, which I'm, uh, to some degree is known in terms of trustees and so forth, it's going rapidly into the next phase. So not just financially, but uh, what a period of time provides which is roots to, to a charity and that feels very increasingly stronger and Dan and some of the other trustees have really worked very hard in making that happen and then I think just generally the continuing normalizing of what UOK Doc provides which is emotional and mental health education services resources not just to doctors in the medical community, but to patients, to the country as a whole. It ripples out. And for that just to continue in the way, you know, these podcasts, the webinars, the huddles that, that are available for doctors, UK Nurse, which I think is, you know, another thing in development and happening, just continuing to the normalisation of why wouldn't you pay attention to your emotional and mental health? Well, you and Dan have done an amazing job of of getting it to this point, and I've no doubt it's going to continue to soar and, and achieve exactly what you've just said. And I suppose along the way, we'll have to continue to, to use some of your advice about trusting the journey and trusting that if you put energy into it, then these things happen. Other things I'm going to take I, away I, from I, our... Go on. Sorry. 
Nope. I mean, with all the challenges and the, the different things that have happened over the, the three, four years, I never doubted the relevance and the importance of UOK Dog and the, that it will continue to become an important, valuable charity and asset for, for, for the medical community and just the country in general. I've, I've never doubted it. But the core of that was Dan's belief in it. Brilliant. Well, You've had a fair hand in it as well, Chris. And you've also had a hand in, in inspiring me in terms of one of my potential career changes around. I'm yet to double down on my commitment to uh, qualifying as a therapist. Um, but why? Okay, I get to change. What? Why? No, 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 no. This is me interviewing you, Chris. This is. There's not the time to flip this around. No, I. It, but it's certainly an area that, that I'm continuing to explore. I mean, you really, you really, you really should. You really, really should. I mean, it's there's still degrees of emotional intelligence and reflection and what people are learning. You know, and you're you're definitely in that pack of people. You really should. Thank you. Well, when we first met, and it was during the pandemic. Uh, and I was certainly inspired by you as a professional, you as a person. So, and I, I hold on to that inspiration now. I just need to find the courage probably to commit to that. But I'm excited for you, your next sort of few years, whether that involves exploring the world, seeing some new places uh, and spending lots of time with your family. We also had a conversation once where you said to me that I should write a book, but I actually am going to flip that around and challenge you that you should write a book and you just have to tell some of those stories but with some fake names and yeah well it's i mean julia wrote her book or two books i think they're hybrids if that's the right word of people that's what those stories they'd be composite sort of characters to sort of get across the broader lesson yeah (laughs) well it's back to admin that's the problem (laughs) well i know i know well i feel like of the list of things we need to worry about in terms of uh character flaws admin can can be on that list and we need not worry too much you've got plenty on the positive side of the of the list so you're doing all right mate thanks so much i don't i wonder whether this was uh, slightly strange coming on as as the guest rather than the host but it's been awesome just hearing you chat a bit about your life and your no, journey it's, it's been, fascinating it's, it's been great i've loved it i mean you're and you've made it very easy and a pleasurable experience thanks chris well i've loved it and uh, i know everyone listening will as well so thanks very much for your time you're welcome Thank you for listening to the UOK Doc podcast. UOK Doc is a charity supporting doctors' mental health and well-being, and relies on your generous donations and support to continue. Please consider donating. The link is down below in the description. For every £10 raised, one doctor receives group therapy for one hour. But we can only do this with your kind donations. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, comment, and share with your friends. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.